Welcome to Lundar, a small community near Lake Manitoba. The town sits along Highway 6 and has a population of about 1,300 people. Now, I've always been interested in the idea of how humans interact and view animals. I struggle with the idea that our value towards other species is so motivated by convenience. We drive countless hours to see bears and other animals in the wild, yet panic once they enter the city, as if they are expected to respect the concrete perimeter we have set up around our homes. Don't worry, this isn't a heavy political episode. This is a Think Again episode. This is a story about saving a species. Now, if you live in Manitoba, you are well aware of Canada geese. If you don't, these are large birds that migrate from Rochester, Minnesota to Manitoba every year. And they come in the thousands. I'm talking like a hundred thousand. In some places, they all but take over. However, they are once nearing extinction. I'm Megan Kertzen, and you're listening to Manitoba Landmarks. And I think it's probably an example of the most successful introduction or reintroduction of a species anywhere in North America. That is Paula Grief. She's a biologist at Okamek Marsh, a large wildlife management area that specializes in waterfowl. Paula and I are sitting in the cafeteria of the Interpretive Center. It's on the second floor and has giant windows wrapping around. As we talk, we watch flocks of geese moving in and around the marsh. Now, these would be considered the giants then? There are some giants. There are some interior and there are there are about 11 subspecies of Canada goose, and we have about three in Manitoba. The giants are the ones that nest here. So okay. that nest here during um, nesting season. So in the city of Winnipeg, anywhere yeah. around, are giant Canada. Okay, the big guys that hiss at us. Yes. <laughs> you get a little bit farther north, and then you start to get into the interior subspecies and the other subspecies. Okay. Giants will have a tendency to move out first. Okay. They will migrate first because... They're from here, and so they're, they don't go very far. I mean, Rochester, Minnesota is not very far. No. Now, I found a news release from the United States Department of Interior, Fish and Wildlife Services, from 1963. It states that an extinct giant goose had been found in Minnesota. It's described as an exceptionally large bird, matching the dimensions as well as color that supposedly extinct giant species. The press release continues by saying that these birds were once well known to the people in northern prairie states, but now these birds were considered to be a myth. You wonder why they were so low in the first place if right. they dealt well with people, and it must have been hunting pressures okay. and, and lack of habitat at that point. Right. But they've adapted to golf courses and retention ponds, I think, probably in Winnipeg for sure, right. are really helpful. Okay. So how does Lundar fit into all of this? Well, in the 40s, Mr. W.A. Murphy created a protected area for the Canada Goose. Marshy Point is located on the east shore of Lake Manitoba. This refuge, along with Alfred Hole Goose Sanctuary in the White Shell, played an important role in re-establishing the giant Canada Goose populations in North America. It provides over 15,000 hectares of protected environment from Oak Point to Lundar. It's quite a large area of just marshland. That's Alison King. Her father worked at Marshy Point when he was young and then returned as the groundskeeper in the 60s. The sanctuary itself is on a little sort of island in the middle of the marsh. 
and there's water surrounding it everywhere. And he would feed the geese uh, grain, and they would just come in. Uh, <laughs> they, they'd hear the tractor, and they'd fly in, and they'd uh, land, and the mud flats where he was feeding them would just be covered with geese and ducks and oh, you wow. name it. She grew up on the marsh. We also had uh, game wardens bring us uh, eggs from when the uh, coyotes would get a nest. Okay. So we would have them in incubators and hatch them. And oh, no then, Yeah, and they imprint on people. So the, the really interesting thing is uh, whoever they see when they first break out of the egg, eggshell, uh, that is their mother. Okay. And they follow that person everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we would all be sleeping in our beds uh, with cardboard boxes full of these little goslings. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to have your arm dangling down uh, with your hand on them to mimic the wing of the mother goose oh, no <laughs> over way. the goslings. And if you lifted your arm, they would start to uh, become very agitated and they would shriek and make these little peeping noises and you'd have to put your arm back down and sleep like that. Now one of my favorite movies growing up was Fly Away Home, a story of a father and daughter who find a destroyed goose nest and show a flock of geese to their winter nesting spot. So naturally Allison soon became a somewhat of a hero to me. And then, yeah, they were completely dependent uh, for the, you know, the summer and uh, by fall they would be ready to fly and you'd have to train them to fly by running and then riding a bike and then the next thing you knew, the geese would be flying after the vehicles as you're driving away. Um, And they'd eventually, after half a mile, turn back. She trained them to fly by riding a bike beside them. How many people can say they grew up training geese to fly? Had asked, um, <clears throat> pardon me, had asked if they could build this goose statue, and the other guy said, sure. And then he just sort of disappeared. Oh, really? <laughs> and my father had to sort of figure it all out. And, and I asked him one time, well, how on earth did you, did you figure out how to get the proportion of the body and everything? And he said, well... When I first called Allison, I had no idea that her father, Lawrence King, also made the statue. Uh, he said the body of a goose is the same shape as a goose egg. Okay. Um, in general, and so he modeled the body on uh, the shape of an egg, and he just enlarged it to the size that he wanted. Um, and I think he he used plywood to uh, cut out sheets of plywood in the diameter of the egg at varying widths or thicknesses and then he filled in the remaining parts with styrofoam so it wouldn't be too heavy um and then from there it was uh, a matter of i think figuring out the wings and the neck and the tail so that it would work as a weather vane which is what it does it changes direction it always points into the wind seriously yeah, it does. It spins. I had I, no, a lot of people don't. They, uh, you know, I've I've spoken about it to some of my students, and they say, "What?" Allison is a music teacher in the Interlake. The goose changes direction. <laughs> I said yes. No I said, pay attention next time you drive down the highway. Every time you go, it'll be pointing in a different direction. Oh. 
She told me that growing up, she didn't realize how important Marshy Point was. It made me really, well, in, in the first place, before I knew. And when I was young, I thought everybody had a boathouse <laughs> and boats and, <laughs> right. and had geese around them. And everybody raised geese. You know, <laughs> it was just what you did. Right. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I was... Um, going to school and this it, it's it's a long ways off it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, two and a half miles off the highway it's a half a mile from the, tr- the tree line mm-hmm. before the marsh starts so it's wide open spaces uh, you can see the horizon across the lake you know it's just amazing mm-hmm. uh, in, in all directions mm-hmm. uh, and I took it for granted you know, and it wasn't until I was an adult and was living in other places that I realized how, you know, special that place really was. Right. And um, I certainly didn't realize that, like, when I was growing up, it, there were so many geese there already, but uh, uh, I didn't realize that it had come from just this group of 11. Wow. And And how much effort it took to make sure that they were able to stay safe yeah. and increase in number. Yeah. They went to the trouble of building nest boxes wow. uh, in the wa- uh, yeah in the marsh up on posts with. Then uh, my father would stock them with with straw and stuff, and yeah. you know make sure that uh, there were plenty of opportunities for them to nest. Wow. So yeah, it was uh, the the older I get, the more I appreciate it. Back at Okanuk Marsh. I asked Paula why this goose range deduction was so successful. Hunting regulations were um, changed for, okay. for that particular subspecies for a while. And now, again, the hunting regulations change every year. Right. I think also they adapted really well to urban environments. Okay. And so, I mean, Winnipeg has 100,000 Canada geese all by itself. Right. Um, and that has nothing to do with a wetland like a hammock. It has to do with retention ponds and golf courses. And right. So they've adapted really well yeah. to urban environments. Now I want to bring you back to my first comment, how humans view animals based on convenience. So should we be changing our attitudes towards I We kind of see them as a pest now too, right? Well, in, it depends what it is you're trying to do. If you're right. a golf course owner and want to keep it free of gooseness, yeah. then yeah, they're a pest. Right. If you work at Okamic Marsh, <laughs> they are our bread and butter and, our, and they are a phenomenal, spectacular sight to see right. spring and fall. So good job, Manitoba. I chose Lundar because I was just amazed that this small town in rural Manitoba was responsible for bringing back the, maybe the biggest nuisance in Manitoba. And I think we should be proud of that. If you've never been to Okamak Marsh during fall and spring migration, then you are missing out. At the end of my interview with Paula, she asked me if I was a morning person or a night person. This sort of question usually ends up with me being sleep deprived. It also usually means you are about to see something amazing. So there I was, arriving the next morning before the sun.
countless birds floating in the marsh, covering most of the water. And then they all begin to leave. The audio doesn't even come close, yet I hope it gives you the sense of goosebumps that I had while witnessing hundreds of birds take flight, almost at once. So close I could hear the beating of the wings, the stir of the water, and the unmistakable honking. sign of spring. Right. I mean, we're, we all wait for the first Canada goose to come back and right. we even run a contest guessing when it will be. Okay. So they're important, you know, so for us they're very important. Canada geese have internal thermometers. I think it's kind of neat how they travel farther north. So as they migrate, they're following what's called thermal clients. Okay. So as the temperature warms, it sort of warms up in a sort of a line across North America. And as it warms up, to in Canada geese, it's four degrees. They move farther north. Oh. So as it keeps going, and that's why they get here usually the same time every year. Okay. And so the potential is there to get affected by climate change because as it warms, yeah. So I think it's neat that that's one of the things that they follow. Making them perhaps a better indicator of spring than the iconic Groundhog Day. The more I sat with Paula, the more I began to appreciate these birds. Like the iconic V, for example. In flocks, they migrate as family groups. Right. And a family is usually two adults, and they're young, which can be, in a really good year, 12. In an average year, probably four or five. Okay. And so flocks are all bigger than that. So they actually migrate as groups of families. Oh, And there is a dominance hierarchy. So there is a dominant family, and the male in that family is the dominant one. And he's the one that will make sort of decisions about when to leave, when to like leave the marsh or leave yeah. the field and those kind of things. And then they all take turns when they're truly migrating, um, leading in the V so that it, cause it takes a little bit more energy. Right. So if you rotate who leads and, and there's a set order, this family, then that family, then that right. family. If you do it that way, then you can migrate farther. So. Wow. The V has other benefits as well. It's also... It is a very efficient pattern for seeing who's in front of you and not colliding. Because oh. if you watch them, they rarely collide with each other. Right. If you were to go in a straight line, you don't have because their eyes are on the side of the head, they can't right. see right in front of them. Okay. So I can hit you <laughs> clearly if I can't see you. Right. Whereas if you're over here where I can actually see you because I'm a goose, then it's adds it makes it easier to migrate. As right. Well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the multiple family groups and then they switch, they take turns. Yep. And is that, how do they know where to go every year? Is that just like from following? So in geese, the young learn where to go from the parents. So okay. if a young gets left behind and doesn't make, doesn't become part of a flock somewhere, it will never migrate because it doesn't know where to go. Okay. So the parents guide their young south, flying around 900 kilometers to Rochester, Minnesota. This takes a lot out of a bird. In order to prepare for this trip, these birds need to fatten up. They eat half a pound of um, 
barley a day at this time of year. Really? Which is like us eating 40 quarter pounders a day. Wow. In order to get enough fat in order right. to migrate. Yep. So I think that's cool. That's a lot of food. That is a lot of that's food. a lot of food yeah. for a little body. Yes. Now I come from a family of hunters. I grew up believing that a lone goose was one of the saddest things you'll ever see because it means their mate had died. Their soulmate. That Canadian geese mated for life. But I was wrong. They form long-term... <laughs> Excuse me. Yep. Long-term <laughs> hair bonds. Okay. They are not necessarily mated for life. Okay. Most people think. Right. Um, they'll do long-term, but if things are not going well, so you're unsuccessful two years in a row or so, then you'll find a new mate. Or if okay. your mate dies, then you will certainly find okay. one by the next season. I mean, we're not... Right. Yeah. We're, we're about nature here. Right. <laughs> gotta, our goal is to reproduce. Okay. And you need to get that done. Because so many people, they're like, if you see a long goose, because they're alone for the rest of their existence. Yeah. No, they're not. I'm like, that no. doesn't make sense nature-wise. No, no it doesn't. And really? It doesn't. No. Okay. So, um, this is impressive considering geese can live up to 20 years. 20 years is pretty. Yeah, we'll go still. So most of them clearly don't make it. No. And somewhere between 50 and 70%, probably closer to 50% geese, don't make it through the first year. Really? That many? 50%? Yeah. And we still have that many numbers? Yes. That's phenomenal. Yes, it is. Oh my god. Yep. Okay. That just says a lot about... Yes, it does. But well, I mean, if you're laying five or six eggs, right, and half of those, like, so let's say you're six, because that's easier to do the math. Yeah, <laughs> you, three survive, right? right? And so that's replaced you already in the first year. Right. If you do that for fifteen years, right, you've got forty-five that you've added. So. And they're able to produce after the first year, though. Reproduce, after right? the, some of them in their first year, most of them in the second year. Okay. I'm always curious to see how animals act as parents. Turns out geese have parenting down to an art, one that includes babysitting. In the summertime, you will often see flocks of you know, 50 or 60 or 70 young, you know, you're walking across yeah. Keniston, or you're driving along Keniston and they're walking across, yeah. or a lodge or whatever, here as well. And it's not one family with all that many young, so they right. do what's called babysitting or crushing. Okay. So you'll have, I mean, we've had... 250 young all together and so that's dozens and dozens of families that have come together and you'll have half a dozen adults that are watching them and those adults again rotate out and that allows um, a set of adults to go and feed and right. gain weight and those kind of things and the young are still being looked after okay and they come together in a group because safety in numbers so just right. like fish in a school it's harder for a predator to pick one up right. same thing when you've got you know, 50 goslings moving around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's much harder to pick one out than it is um, if you're just a group of four or five. So they poop on our yards. They hiss at us. And not too many people will call them their favorite bird. But I think it's time to embrace the goose. Don't like geese or yeah. they don't really, aren't as interested in geese because they can be a pest in right. different places. Yeah. They're not the like the romantic animals, right? They're not the wolves and the elk, you know, no. like those. They're not cute. They're not fuzzy. They're you know they're they're loud. They yeah. let you know they're there. They're not majestic. So I hope the next time you see the iconic V flying in the sky, you'll think about them differently. These are pretty cool. These are cool. These are cool. Think of them with a sense of pride. Thanks for listening to Manitoba Landmarks. 
If you liked today's episode and want more fun, quirky, and giant stories from across Manitoba, then head to manitobalandmarks.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Manitoba Landmarks. I'd love to hear from you. Do you have an interesting story about one of these places? Or have one that should be on our list? Then send me a message on social media or email manitobalandmarks at gmail.com. Music for the show is by Manny Gosen. There are links to his Spotify page in the show notes. Until next time, keep exploring.